welcome, folks. My guest today is going to be Mary Cariotis. Mary is the president and CEO of Merrimack Capital, an equipment leasing and resale company. Merrimack Capital is one of the industry's leading and largest independent diverse global leasers exclusively serving the Fortune 500 and the like. In this episode, we go through and discuss Mary's drive, what she does to stay focused day in and day out. Uh, we touch on perseverance, and we also touch on not procrastinating, making sure we're staying on top of things and getting things done quickly. Also, at the end of the episode, uh, near the end, I should say, there was a book that uh, Mary was trying to figure out uh, the name of that she thought was um, quite good, and uh, the name of that book is was Vested. Just just so you guys just so you guys know. Also, a little bit more about uh, Mary and uh, Merrimack. Merrimack Capital has had six consecutive years ranking on the Women's President Organization Fastest Growing Women-Owned Companies list. The number two spot on the inaugural WPO Women to Watch list, the Financial Times list of the America's fastest growing companies in 2020 and 2021. Mary is extremely driven, and I think that really comes through in this episode, and I hope you folks enjoy. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thanks. There it is. We're rolling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, Mary, thank you so much for taking the time. I uh, really do appreciate it. I know this is one I've been really looking looking forward to. We've talked about it uh, a few different times, but it's nice to finally uh, find the time and be able to make it happen. Well, thank you for having me. So uh, one of the things uh, as I was looking through and just seeing everything that's going on with, uh, with Merrimack and, and the insane amount of growth. I mean, for, for 10 consecutive years of over 20% growth is uh, really, really remarkable. And, and I'm just curious, speaking to, to you as, as leading and, and driving the, uh, the company, where does that drive come from uh, for you on, on a personal level? My personal drive in terms of growing the company, I, I think that just comes from a work ethic that I've had instilled in me since I was a very young child. Mm -hmm. So it's um, it, it was the example that was taught to me in the way that I grew up and um, my siblings all have the same type of work ethic. So I think it's just a, a just something that's innate in my personality. Now, was that is that just environment growing up? I mean, when you're were your parents kind of driving and, and to to make you succeed and strive to be the best? Or was it just the, the influence of siblings and stuff like that? I mean, where do you think that, that kind of drive, uh, is it all of those things? <laughs> Not really. I grew up in a very affluent area, but we were definitely the poorest people in the neighborhood. My parents were divorced and that's when divorce in the Catholic church, which we were part of at the time, my mother was almost exiled from it. And so she was a single mom, um, interior designer, providing um, services for the elite. For instance, like she decorated Larry Ellison's house and always drove around in a Cadillac and everybody, my friends all thought that we were from a very, you know, upscale wealthy family. And the reality was our electricity would get turned off um, and our, the phone would get turned off because she, you know, didn't have the money to pay all the bills on time. And so with that um, type of environment growing up, she still worked really, really hard every day and always had a great attitude and then was, you know, would, come home and make our dinner every night and probably work 12 hour days and was just relentless about it. And so I think that it was just sort of the lead by example. And so I started working my first job, I think when I was 13. Wow. That's definitely some, some lead by lead by example, for sure. That's a, a 
fantastic work ethic and, and role model for someone to, to look up to for sure. What was your first job at 13? Cleaning the mold off of the neighbor's ceilings <laughs> on the cul-de-sac that we lived in. It was disgusting. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of nice when you get those those jobs, at least at an earlier age, because you know you don't want to do that forever. You do it, right. you know, whether it's, you know, banging nails or something like that. You're like, okay, I know that there's there's more. I think I'm capable of uh, of achieving and, uh, and attaining for sure. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So going through, I mean, uh, how has the whole transition been with, with, I would say perseverance. Cause I feel like that's, that's one of those things. Um, not everything's always, uh, going well on the day to day in a company. And there's not always, um, uh, with some weeks are better than others. As you said earlier, before we came on and w- what helps you kind of, uh, stay the course and, and persevere through some of those, uh, more difficult times. I think it's something that's just in people's DNA and that's, why I think a lot of companies always are really interested in hiring athletes like yourself, um, because you have to persevere to succeed. And not every day is a great day and not every day do you succeed in, you know, trying to learn your new tricks or have the perfect mogul line. It's almost the same thing, you know, in the business environment, you, you know, have successes and failures and hopefully you have more successes than failures, but, um, you have to be resilient and you have to work smart. And, and then I think one of the most important things is to realize with whatever path that you're on, if it's not working, no matter how much you have invested in it, don't be afraid to change and create success where you can really realize the ultimate results that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's really interesting when you say, you know, not, not be afraid to, to kind of change and, and make that pivot. When do you think is, is the right time or when is that fair? I mean, is that more or of a, like a, a gut feeling like, hey, this, this, isn't working around, this isn't working out. I'm kind of hitting my head against the wall. It's, it's time to change into a, a different path because I feel like a lot of times um, kids or uh, people in the business world, they will kind of get stuck on one path and then like, well, my career is kind of set in this way and I might as well just stay the course even though I'm not really – happy or passionate about what, what I'm deciding to do, because I think that it does take, um, you know, a bit of a strong personality to be like, you know what, this isn't right. I need to, I need to change the course and, and we'll see what happens. No, you, it's it real. I think it is a gut or when the facts present themselves to you so that you realize, you know, cause you want to make a solid decision, but you see so many people in life, it's mediocrity. You know, they just accept the status quo and they don't really have job fulfillment. Um, and, and they just keep doing the same thing because they don't think they either have an alternative or they might be too lazy to make a change. So I think it's really having your eye on the ball and, and part of it's got, part of it is actual results um, when you realize you're not getting the results that you want. And, and then the hard thing about changing is I think people are afraid because they don't know what the future holds. So you can't be afraid because there is something better and you know, you can always find something better and then um, not, holding on to, oh my gosh, I've invested X dollars or so much time. You know, you have to abandon that sometimes and have a fresh start. Um, I heard a saying when I was probably close to your age, and this is when probably millionaires were more like billionaires back then, but they were saying that uh, many millionaires, they'll lose all their money multiple times and start over again. And it's, um, and I think that's true with a lot of entrepreneurs. You, you know, get going and you either, it's reached its, peak and potential and you're you want to do something else or it fails for whatever reason and you have to start over again Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 super interesting to see. Just uh, you know, also say it's a little bit. Of, it seems like fear-based, like decision making, you know, and and being uh, really afraid to make that. But that's an. I mean, it's a really interesting, and I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it seems a lot of people that I've had on this show in the past have certainly not been afraid to uh, to fail. Mm-hmm. And it is an, I think, an important distinction to be able to know, like, yeah, it's it's okay to, you know, obviously it's not the result, but I mean, I feel like at the same time, I know at least on a personal level for me and a lot of people I've come on, like you learn so much more from the failures really than, than you do from the successes, you know, as horrible as that is, it's like, man, that loss really sucked. But, you know, you kind of look yourself in the mirror and is it what you want to do or, or something like that, you know? You do. And it also creates, you know, the ability to have more empathy too when you fail yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the one thing I don't know if you're going to direct any questions about being a diverse supplier and how that can help people, but that's something I, you know, depending on who in your audience is listening, that's something mm-hmm. that a lot of, you know, young adults your age aren't really aware of. Um, and the supplier diversity initiative within corporate America is something. It's very difficult for a white male to take advantage of it, but it's great for women and minorities. And there's such a huge initiative within supply chain of corporate America to engage certified diverse suppliers mm-hmm. and get what's called spend credit, meaning how much they spend each year with a cert- certified diverse su- supplier. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it escalates your visibility to supply chain. Um, and you're not going to win business more often than not. And you don't want the pass through business because you're a certified diverse supplier. But uh, there's some, some kind of fun um, stories and, and examples I can give you if that's somewhere you want to go in this podcast. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of my favorites is I think about um, Walmart. So if you Google supplier diversity at Walmart, mm-hmm. what will pop up is a message from the CEO. It's supplier diversity meaning how much spend credit is, how much they spend with certified diverse suppliers, whether it's um, women, minority, veteran, um, and and other categories. And with that, um, they'll state their goals often. So Walmart wants to spend, um, I think, 20 billion annually with certified diverse suppliers by 2024, something like that, 2025. Mm-hmm. And I think they're at 16 million now. Don't quote me on the numbers. You can look it up and it's fluid. It changes. But there was a woman and she was in Minnesota and she was homeless and she uh, did a cook-off for um, salsa and her salsa won. And so then she got engaged with Campbell Soup to sell her salsa. And Walmart came and ended up it's called Maggie Salsa and Walmart ended up coming in ultimately buying it. And so she went from being homeless and being a woman owned business that was certified. That's how she got the visibility. So there's just tremendous opportunity for entrepreneurs if they become certified by the agencies, which are national agencies. And this has also become a global initiative um, for all the different categories. But um, to get that visibility to supply chain and then it really can help escalate your business as an entrepreneur. So that's something that I think is so important for, you know, entrepreneurs and young people to know that that opportunity is out there because it really is a head start. Yeah, that's unbelievable. So Maggie, I'll have to look the next time I'm in Walmart. (laughs) That's quite the, so it's Maggie's salsa. Interesting. Huh. So 
How many, what, do you have a couple more uh, examples that come to mind of being? Oh uh, boy, um, <laughs> I'm sure I do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's okay. I, I mean, our company is one. That's an example. Right. Sure. So that, that, that's an easy one that's near and dear to my heart. So we restructured in 2009, basically had no customers at all mm -hmm. um, because we had independent contractors and they took their business and our business was unregulated and we really wanted our business to be represented um, in a, in a different way where it was, you know, it's unregulated and one, one word can alter the economic landscape of the deals. And so in starting from scratch, um, and we got certified in 2009, um, since that time, we've added more than 100 Fortune 500 and the like. And when I say the like, that might be Cargill. They're the largest privately held corporation in America, but if they were public, they would probably be number seven. So. We started focusing on accounts that had a supplier diversity initiative. And the first accounts, we just won on our own merit. Um, we weren't certified. And I remember it was PepsiCo, Glasgow, SmithKline, Aflac, and um, Cargill. And, and so, um, and that was just from straight cold calling. And we never have won our business because we're a diverse supplier, but again, it escalates your visibility to supply chain mm -hmm. and it really supports that initiative. And now the other strong corporate initiative is sustainability. So what we're doing is showing when we take a lift truck back or we take laptops back, how repurposing that equipment into the secondary market has a positive impact on the environment and how it saves um, energy and affects, you know, the carbon, you know, it helps us remain carbon neutral um, from a manufacturing standpoint, all those types of things. And that reporting goes all the way up to the sea level. But there's um, the two primary um, certifying agencies are WeBank, W-B-E-N-C for women, and then the NMSDC for minorities. And they both hold conferences regionally and nationally throughout the um, year. And so there's four major national conferences and you'll have three or 400 corporate sponsors that attend these conferences. And it might be, you know, maybe 200 attend one and 150 attend another there. They don't all necessarily attend everything, but right. it gives you visibility sometimes up to the chief procurement um, officer within the organization who might be in attendance. Um, and so that network becomes very strong because you're constantly going and seeing other diverse suppliers and supporting other diverse suppliers. And, um, you know, there's a lot of synergy. And, and so through that, um, that gives an entrepreneur, entrepreneur visibility to corporate America and it's a it's an easy way to reach a lot of people in a short amount of time in a very economical way. Hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, it sounds like it's a great way to, as you were touching on, I mean, network and be able to grow uh, quite quickly. So that's definitely. I don't know if it's that quickly, but it's and again, it's it's you don't win business because you're a diverse supplier. Because if that yeah. were the case, all of our competitors would be doing exactly what we're doing. But the platform it gives you, it, right. it's tremendous. And so there's so many success stories with. Um, it, it's really fun to, to watch, you know, some of these, um, WBs or MBs and they do their perfect pitch. You know, ours is kind of boring because we're in the finance business and we sell used equipment, but there, there's like a woman that came up with a, um, jumpsuit for construction workers and how, um, the suit works so that women don't have to take off the entire jumpsuit to use the restroom or another one that came up with vodka, yogurt pops and I mean they're they're really fun you know so if you if you go on the 
WeBank or the NMSDC websites, they they have the success stories that, you know, like the Maggie Salsa story. Interesting. Yeah, no, I'll definitely have to go. Uh, I got I got that written down, so I'll definitely have to have to give that a look because those are always fun and I think inspiring to for for the uh, person looking to to branch out and uh, not stick with the the status quo. Uh-huh. Now, now getting, I mean, you guys have such a diverse like portfolio in the in the used equipment and and leasing and all that. I mean, I looked at it's it's a, such a wide variety. Does that get difficult to be able to keep track of like? okay, you're repurposing printers and then it's forklifts and everything. I mean, it, it seems like it's just uh, a lot to be able to uh, to keep track of such different categories. We're a, a general equipment lessor. And so the reason that you're seeing the diverse spectrum of equipment, it's lift trucks, it's IT equipment, copy print. Um, sometimes it could, like, we've done things like the spear pickle slicer for craft foods that, you know, cuts all the spears for the, you know, those are one-off transactions, but the, the lion's share of it in our industry is what equipment is typically leased. Mm-hmm. So laptop desktops are typically leased, material handling equipment, you right. know, forklifts, cranes, that's kind of leased. Um, a lot of commercial vehicles are leased. We're kind of entering into that market. And it, before, like you went back, you know, a couple decades ago, you could lease even five years ago, you could lease Cisco equipment and you could remarket the Cisco equipment for, you know, 40 cents on the dollar. Now Cisco's smart and they control the equipment with software. So the secondary market, they're controlling their own secondary market through the software. So the types of assets that we lease are assets that kind of can stand on their own. And so, and those are the assets that customers typically lease. So it's really customer driven. So if you're calling on a PepsiCo, they're going to have a lot of lift trucks leased. They want to lease their laptop desktops. Sometimes they might have a lease software. Rarely do they have us look at manufacturing equipment, but it's really customer driven. And those, it's not that we came up with that. Those tend to be the type of assets that the customers that we call on want to not own for various reasons. And the companies that we work with, they're all very financially solvent and strong. So they're leasing not because of lack of cash flow. And that might be the case with lower end credits, but our customers are leasing for conservation of cash, for improving their balance sheet ratios, which improves the stock. They don't want to be in the used equipment business or they want to hedge on technology. Right. Interesting. Now, how much, I mean, has it changed in the last five or so years as, as you were touching on with the carbon footprint and all that? Um, Does that, is that, a lot more important to the customers and everything now than, than it used to be. I mean, obviously they're the, uh, just had the, or I guess it's still going on the thing in uh, Glasgow climate meeting and all that. So, I mean, it's just, just kind of curious how much that that's kind of changed. It's definitely on the forefront now. I mean, California has been on uh, the, the amount of fires this summer is definitely not good and the dryness in, in the Western part of the U S. And so it's definitely, definitely an interesting thing. So I'm just curious how much that's, that's kind of changed. Um, you, there are companies, again, because we're really focused on America's largest companies, there are companies where we're going to be required to report on our own sustainability efforts and compliance, as well as what we're doing with their products when they come back. So it's becoming mandated. And, and then there are rating agencies, and we are always rating, we, we're always rated in the top 
25% of being carbon neutral. Mm -hmm. One of our larger clients is formerly called Ingersoll Rand, now Train Technologies. And so they're the largest manufacturer of HVAC. So um, I'm on their supplier board. They've been wonderful in helping our staff learn how to present the equipment that we repurpose and remarket, how it has a carbon neutral effect and how to quantify that, how it's saving in all different types of emissions or energy or and making equivalent, you know, showing equivalence to how it's creating the savings um, in, 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 in energy. But it, that's something that is definitely, um, there's a huge career opportunities with that, you know, sort of like when the internet first came out, you know, all the different, there's a lot of opportunity to work around um, work within that space and create sustainable solutions. And it's something that I'm learning myself. I'm in no way um, a subject matter, matter expert to talk about it, but it's something that our company is really happy to comply with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Just, I mean, when you think about the technology just in the last 10 years and just the difference in what, what you can do with your, your phone or, or not, you know, it's funny. We were watching a, a movie the other day and she, oh, they were like stuck in Europe and she's like, well, why don't they just, you know, like call? I was like, they don't have phones. They, yeah, there was not that long ago that, yeah, they, they weren't able to contact anyone or a phone call in Europe used to be like 40 cents a minute or like a dot. So you didn't really like use the, you know, uh, but speaking kind of, how are you able to stay on track? Like, what are some of those daily habits that, that you kind of do to, to stay on target when you have so much new information coming out and like you say you there's a lot of stuff that you don't know that you're trying to learn and you're trying to figure out and there's constantly going to be going to be that so so what kind of uh habits or stuff do you do daily to kind of be able to uh tackle your day and make sure you can fit in as much as possible i i think i don't procrastinate and so i think that's one of the most important things you know so many people are all take care of that tomorrow and I drive my family members crazy because it's like, no, no, I have to do it right now. And it's, and so you, you know, you've got to check things off the list and replenish that list with more things. So I think it's not procrastinating and, um, and then I'm constantly, you know, increasing the, the bandwidth of what I'm trying to accomplish and then getting the right support system and help so that I can accomplish more. Mm. And that, that's, I think the biggest challenge is, you know, working, finding the right employees that, you know, can do the job and fulfill the job and have the same work ethic and, you know, same values. And, and not everybody wants to work the same. A lot of people just want to, you know, punch the clock and you, you have to, I was just talking with someone this morning and it, it, it's just, a lot of people are more relaxed in their approach of what they want to get accomplished in their day. So I think it's also, again, just the way you're wired. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, I think, it, I mean, that's simple, but definitely like wise words, just don't procrastinate, right? Like be able to get it done, right. take care of it in that moment. And yeah, no, I think. That but, that's but also work smart, Bobby. People are busy, 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 but what are they really, you know, you have to, right. you can be so busy and accomplish nothing. So you have to make sure sure-ish. not only not to procrastinate, but to work smart and, mm-hmm. and to recognize when, you know, you're just spinning and, and your efforts aren't really accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. Now, for you, do you, because different people I've had on in the past and everything else, they schedule out, uh, some people will schedule out their entire month. Some people are very like week to week. All right, I'm going to tackle this, this, and this. And then other people 
one of the ones I've heard a few times that they really like to do is the most difficult task or the most important thing that they have to do. They want that to be the first thing done every day. Is that something for you? Or you're just like, ta- like, okay, what's the biggest project I have to tackle today? I want to get this done early. So I'm not thinking about it at 4.30. Like, ah, I got to do that still. Like you said. No, no, I, I get the worst thing done <laughs> as it pops up. And, and I actually plan my schedule out a year. It's inter- and then it changes. It's very fluid. But um, I have my assistant put everything in for myself and my family for travel, so I can kind of manage it and maneuver it. But um, and then everything changes, you know, on a daily basis. But mm-hmm. always the most difficult things first, and the most time-consuming things first. But they also have to be prioritized. And then, you know, some things might that you intended to do that you might feel are really important. They may get dismissed altogether. Um, that, that doesn't happen very often, but it's, um, it's, you know, I think I, I probably have too much cover, too much detail um, <laughs> that I could probably let some things go. Right. Well, no, I mean, that's one of the things that, uh, and you see in, in most, a lot of people I have on the show that are, you know, are driven and everything else. Like you, you, there is that part where you want to try and get everything done that you can mm-hmm. and you want to tackle all that stuff. So one of the things that just, just curious about, I mean, do you think it's uh, for you and your company to to be able to surround yourself with people that maybe fill in gaps of not only similar work ethic, but also like weaknesses that you may have, right? Because you only have so much and you have a lot of strengths that you're good at, but there are parts that maybe you're not as good at. So do you think it's important to hire in the company people that will be good at, you know, uh, filling those deficiencies that maybe, you know, you might have like, okay, let me get someone that maybe they're not the most organized in this area, but uh, I'm strong in that area. And a part where I might be a little bit deficient, bring someone in that's really good and going to be able to tackle that area of the business. Uh, No, absolutely. I think that you're talking about two different things. So when you're first starting out, you're not going to be able to afford to bring someone in. So you're going to have to, (laughs) so that's, that's a challenge. And, and then as you have the financial means or the ability to, whether it's through sharing and ownership or whatever it is, you always want to bring in people that are better than you at everything, if you can, because yeah. that's what's going to really create success. Oh, I'm so sorry. You're fine. sorry. I had that turned off. I apologize. No, um, but um, I, I, so you always want to bring in people that are better than you, but it's when you're first starting a company, it's very hard to attract mm-hmm. the people. Sure. But, but it's really interesting. You can bring in very high level people that will have a resume that looks very successful. And then when they come to work with you, they don't have the same work ethic. It's not, it's, it, it, it's really, um, I mean, I think, hard, I think having a really strong work ethic, as long as you know how to work smart and that you're realistic about what you're capable of doing. I mean, you should set your, your goals as high as they can possibly be, but you know, it's like, I'm not gonna go try to, you know, be a brain surgeon when I can barely pass biology, right? It's so, so setting your goals on what fall within your own capabilities, but challenge yourself to continue learning. That's really important. And then, you know, the people that you'll, you'll bring in people along the way and some you'll share the same work ethic with and others, you know, it's just going to be completely different. And it's, um, it, it's, that's a challenge as to how you deal with that and how you compensate those people within your organization. And, and it's really important to, you know, my tendency is to 
want to give everything, you know, be as generous as possible right from the beginning. And you really have to hold back mm -hmm. and see what people are going to bring to the table before you make those promises. Cause it's hard to take anything back once you extend it. Right. No, that's very, uh, very fair. Now, one of the things I'm just kind of curious about in, in the hiring world and, and, things like that um, for some of those younger people that probably listen going, going into the business world or going out and getting their degrees and all that. Um, how, how, in, how difficult is it to look through that, that resume and be able to figure out, I mean, how much weight when you say you're trying to bring someone new into the business, does that resume hold compared to someone that maybe has less of a, a little bit less of a resume, but um you know, has more of an athletic background or, you know, might be a harder worker. I mean, how, how difficult can that be? Because, you know, everything could check all the boxes on the resume. And then after they're with the company for like a few weeks or whatever else, it's like, okay, this might be a little bit of like a bait and switch here. Mm. <laughs> it, good. The, the, you're talking about one of the most difficult subjects and, and one of the most difficult challenges within a business. So I have a young, um, gentleman that works for us and he's in operations and he's build, building out our pricing group. And I'm so impressed with what he's doing. He brings in three interns, even though we don't need that many, has them all work side by side and then picks the one after 12 weeks to hire. And he's just has an impeccable hiring rate. In terms of being an applicant for a job and trying to find what you're looking for, you have to really, you know, exceed your employer's expectations and you know apply for the job but then show how you can do much more and then you have to realize also if you're employed and the employer that you're with doesn't have the bandwidth or the desire for whatever reason isn't going to help advance you to where you want to go that's when you have to make that change even though you've invested the, the time so um I'm not good at hiring. So that's something <laughs> I'm, I, it's, I, I think everybody can do everything. And then once I hire them, I'm not good at training. I'm like, what do you mean? You can't, you know, <laughs> I, it's, it's not my, it's not my strength. So I, I, it's one of those things I don't, I try to stay away from as much as I can, even though I fall back and do it sometimes. <laughs> now, I mean, for, you had the work ethic drive at a very early age. Um, obviously, mom super influential. Who else? Who? What other influences would you say, like along the way, have kind of helped you and kind of shaped you into into the person that you are now, and kind of kind of helped drive you? God, that's a hard question. Um, it could be multiple. It's not like it has to be like one person. You know, obviously, we got mom. <laughs> oh, in terms of. I think for all of us, we, we learn from, from different people. So like, like there was a headmaster of um, the kids' school, my kids' school, and she was really eloquent in the way that she spoke to the parents and the way that she would, um, the way that she would respond and, uh, and, and show her appreciation for donations to the school. It was so eloquent with the way that she wrote and handled herself. Um, and it was interesting. She actually did such a good job at that. And she personally ended up falling from grace from embezzlement. But for the 15 years we were there before, we're just watching what she did and the way that she hosted the events and the way that she expressed her gratitude. It, you know, that formed me and I emulated some of those things. I think, mm -hmm. you know, you watch some customers that you're working with and, and 
you know, um, I've had a lot of customers as, as I've been building the business that have been high level executives and they've taken the time to mentor me and tell me how to do things better in terms of presentation. I think that, you know, experience is your greatest teacher. Um, I think that watching and being exposed to so many successful people at a very, very high level, I mean, C-level within Fortune 500 companies and seeing the, the people that are highly gracious, that that's very impactful. Like my friend um, was the former CEO of General Motors and I asked him how he got the job. And he said, well, there were five candidates and I was just lucky. And I was like, Jack, you weren't just lucky, you don't get lucky. You know, and just the humility. So I think you pick up things along the way, you know, from everybody, younger people, older people, and and you wanna be someone that it wants to always be under constant positive change because you can always be better tomorrow than you are today. No, absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. You're always picking up, always trying to pick up uh, something here or there, that's for sure. And I know that, you know, they, uh, that, that tight-knit group of, of friends or people that you're able to surround yourself with, uh, I think they say it's what, the seven people you spend your time with the most is going to influence you the most. See, I never uh, heard that. So I know uh, my uh, dad growing up was always definitely like, so make sure you surround yourself with, with good, like-minded people um that you know have those same aspirations same goals or at least drive mm -hmm. that you do because uh it all it all helps you help them they help you and it kind of helps helps build towards hopefully a brighter future for everyone <laughs> you, you know on on that's that yeah and on this subject there's a, a book um it's called no man's land no man and i remember this woman um told me about it and it didn't really make sense to me at the time when she told me it was like in 2010 or 11 and because we were you know I was just really getting the business going and um you know over the last decade it was really not a financially it wasn't a great financially solvent start mm -hmm. and um it you know and it, it ended up being a pretty um strong success story but no man's land is when you're too big to be small as a company, but you're too small to be big. And so getting out of that box, it didn't, it's, it's really difficult. So, you know, asking about people that influence you or, or, you know, employees, there are people that are really helpful and pivotable, pivotal, that help you pivot to the next level. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is as you grow and become more sophisticated as a company, the company oftentimes outgrows that employee's capabilities. And then what's really sad is that person or those people have become friends through the process. And, and this is about business, not about friendship. And, and they can no longer do the job that you hired them for. And they also became your friend, your confidant, your, you know, and especially as a smaller company, even more of a confidant than you would normally have. And that's one of the most painful parts about growing a business, because for the business to survive, you have to bring the right people in and that to one of your other questions, you know, and your last comment about who you surround yourself around, you want to always hire people that are better than you so that, that they can take you to the new heights. And so that's, it's, that's a painful part of the process because you really care about these people that you're working with along the way. And so that, that, that's one of the things I think that you might have the benefit of the success, but it's kind of sad, you know, that part yeah. of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that also at the same time, you see that you see that happen in life with, you know, you've had several friends that you're close with or whatever else. And you just kind of see your life going 
down a different path in a different way. And, and that's part of like the growth of that business. Right. I mean, it, it, as sad as it is, it's like, it, you know, you hope that the friendship's still going to be there, but it's it, at the end of the day, it's about grow or die. Right. I mean, right. You know, there's, there's no, you're either moving forwards or moving backwards. There's no in between it's one or the other. And you don't have as much in common. Right. But the, yeah. exactly. So I, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on, I know you're uh, in the women presidents organization and one of the, I mean, fastest growing um, women to own companies and, and how has, how influential has that community been for you? And, and what has that kind of meant? I mean, all the awards and accolades um, running down the list as I'm looking at, you know, KPMG impact 50 list, number two on the inaugural WPO uh, women to watch list. I mean, there's, um, a lot of uh, accolades and awards. And I mean, I think it speaks to, as we, as we touched on earlier, I mean, your work ethic, dedication, drive, and, and wanting to be able to uh, succeed. Um, mm -hmm. So just, just talk about that a little bit. Love to hear about it. Well, well, those organizations, as I mentioned, are when we were talking about WeBank and, mm -hmm. and WeBank and NMSCC, it crosses over because it's the same attendees um, that go in the same corporations. There's a lot of overlap, but all of those organizations, whether it's WPO, whether it's um, WeBank or NMSCC, they create, they have the events that they host mm -hmm. to put, create a platform for diverse suppliers to meet corporate America. And by attending those on a consistent basis, you develop a lot of friendships with your peer groups and you get recognized by the um, certifying organizations as well. Mm -hmm. And then what happens is, as you get, you know, build your customer base, our customer base does a lot of recognition for us. So they have awards within their own organizations, or they'll, you know, ask, invite us to be featured in the diversity trade magazines because they're advertising themselves or telling their own story, you know, whether it was like Ingersoll ran and they'll say, can we feature you as our, you know, diverse supplier? So mm -hmm. that it, you know, being in that network, that's what I mean. You could, you still have to win the business. So you can go about getting your business by, you know, picking up the phone, cold calling account development and not using that as the platform. If you use that as the platform, for me personally, it's been highly successful because I've used it as a network and developed great friendships. And, you know, it's, it's fun. And um, it's, you, you know, you go to these conferences and you see the, the same faces and friendships and are made and it's and you help elevate each other. So um, the organizations are are just great foundations to pivot from. And so um, and then they have a lot of contests. Like right now, we're um, a finalist. We'll see what happens within our chapter for you know the top WBE corporation in our chapter um, for WeBank. And and so you know you apply for it and and then they decide if if you're awarded that. So we'll see. And a lot of times it's just measured by your actual results. Um, I think it is more often than not. Um, sure. Well, you guys actually, Bobby, I'm going to take that back. My former WeBank chapter, this made me so mad because <laughs> we had customers in attendance. And so um, we were given the award for having the highest revenue for a WBE. And the president of that WeBank chapter. They would only give it to us every other year. So they gave it to another company, another WBE, because they wanted to share and make it equal. But I was like, well, this is not, I didn't like that for a couple of reasons. One, our, we had customers that were there. 
And so our competitor, um, not our competitor, the, our, the other WBE who is our competitor in that instance, who was being given the top revenue award, their revenues were being announced. So it made it look like our revenues were less than theirs when they were actually more. Yeah. And I, so actually, I, so, I, so I stopped applying for that one. Um, so now I, did, I changed chapters because we changed our headquarters to Utah. Oh. So um, it'll actually be, that award will actually be on merit on um, whoever has the highest revenue um, of their WBs. So we'll see what happens. So, and then they also look at what you do for the community. It is, there is some subjective part to it, but it really is predominantly driven by um, your, your revenue. Your revenue and growth. And I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. The, uh, the, the growth that has happened uh, with, with the company, especially over, I was, it was like 20% growth for 10 years. You can't, that's, that's, that's ridiculous. But you know, when you say that it's never enough. So I have a logo right. page and it shows our logos and a lot of customers say, wow, look at all this customer, you know, because we, you know, we, we have more than a hundred, you know, companies, all names you would recognize, you know, whether right. it's General Motors or whether it's Fiat Chrysler or, you know, Home Depot. And I'm always like, well, it's not enough. You need to be up there. So it's, it's, you know, kind of, I guess that's part of, I think what drives people's success too is, you know, so if you're satisfied with the status quo or if you keep reaching for more. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is, you know, one of, one of the main differences and all those awards and everything are great, but um, what else, what else is there? I mean, there's so much more that you can go out and achieve. And just because you've done that in the past, you can't rest on your laurels, right? You got to go out and right. tackle the next uh, project and the, the next thing ahead. Right. <laughs> so um one more thing I wanted to ask you real quick, because I was curious, I know you touched on No Man's Land. Any other books that, that you would recommend uh, for some people out there? Um, just a, a good read, whether it has to do with success or business world or, or something that you've been able to, to take a couple things from, because I'm always trying to grow my library and uh, you know, try, to, try to increase my bandwidth as we touched on a little bit. So if there's something I need to pick up or maybe, you know, do a little shopping for uh, before black friday <laughs> there is let me just look at this one book um it, it is um it's right here if i i hope you don't mind i'm getting up there no, no you're fine your podcast but it's um let's see if i can find it right here there's oh boy i'm not gonna be able to find it and i'm not gonna be able to remember the name it was a book that was recommended to me by craft um foods and um it was about the DNA of a corporation, and I will get you the name. Okay. Um, and I'm sorry that I, I hope I didn't ruin your podcast by saying no, 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 you're totally fine. We've had dogs come in. We've had all kinds of stuff, you know. It's, it's all good. <laughs> sorry that I did. I have a dog here. He's just quiet. <laughs> yeah, we had. Uh, I can't remember one of them had to let the dog out in the middle. So you know, it definitely uh, th things happen. It's 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 all good. So I do think that what you what you should what. One place I would direct you is to go to the websites of NMSDC and WeBank, okay. and um, and and that's something that's really really interesting. And if it interests you, um, I would be. I always. I think that if you're lucky enough to receive, you better get back. And so um, one of the things I we always do as a company is we sponsor um, people that wouldn't otherwise be able to go to the national conferences, knowing that you can, would have the wherewithal to go. I would still would like to sponsor you so that to give you the visibility because you're trying to help other people and come as one of our guests to 
the next WeBank National Conference and you'll see all the corporations that are, are present and you'll see the, all the various entrepreneurs that are there trying to push their different products. And it's, it's really an eye-opening experience to, to, to see how this whole supplier diversity initiative works and how it goes into play um, and how individuals that become companies um, and then become very successful companies leverage the whole you know, initiative and, and, and move up to create a successful company. Interesting. Yeah, no, I would, yeah, I would love to. So October, I don't know with COVID, but with October and um, the spring, usually June, okay. early summer are when the two main national conferences are. So hopefully we'll have one in June and if it's of interest to you, and yep. then you can um, report back to your listeners and, and educate them on, you know, how they can take advantage of this initiative because you can go see it for yourself firsthand. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I would love to. That would be a lot of fun. That would be great. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. We covered a lot in here and I really do uh, appreciate it. I know you got a busy schedule, so thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time. Oh, no, if you're, I'm very flattered you even asked me to come on and I will find the name of that book um, because it, it, it was a really fun book from, um, I ended up quoting it so many different times um, that Kraft gave us. It was about the DNA of corporations and yeah. what makes them successful and ethics and it, it was that's a that's a good read for i haven't um i'd forgotten about that until you asked me the one so. i'm on right now is uh i'm, I'm reading grit which has been uh which is oh pretty it's, a, it's been a good read so far i'm behind on my you know i had last year i read about 24 books so I did like two a month, which was, which was pretty good. And this year I'm definitely, definitely behind on that, but I've, I've transitioned a little bit more to listening, like uh, when I'm on a run or something like that, you know, kind of doing the, the audio book. Um, uh -huh. I don't know if, I don't know if the retention's the same, you know, when you, when you, when you read something compared to what, but I don't know, I'm, I'm still trying to figure out what's the best. It, it depends on what kind of learner you are, right? <laughs> exactly. If you're an auto. Yeah. So. All right. Well, thank you so much, Mary. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, and I wish you continued success, Bobby. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Right, right. Bye, bye, everybody. Hey, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe. And if you're watching or listening on YouTube, please make sure you hit that bell button so you get notified every time a new episode drops. Thanks.